0: Hi, this is Mary Guzman, CEO and founder of Crown Jewel Insurance. Welcome to our second podcast in our series, Cover Your Assets. Today we're going to talk about finding the crown jewels right under your nose, which will help you identify what assets within your organization might be considered a trade secret and what you need to do to position yourself best to enforce your rights for protection of those assets based on both state and federal statutes. I'm joined by Mark Halligan, a litigation expert in trade secrets, who is going to share with us his best knowledge on the subject. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for the invitation. Okay, terrific.
2: What is it that organizations need to know? Uh, I think there's probably a lot of confusion out there about how a court determines whether or not you have a defensible trade secret? In other words, how, how do you protect yourself once you've determined that you do have a trade secret? Or there's something that you want to protect, that you're going to that extra length to keep secret?
1: Well, the law, the law says you must take reasonable measures to protect the information as a trade secret. Um, the courts are not expected to protect information that you have not taken steps to protect as a company. And so uh, the, the starting point and the ending point of all of trade secrets law is what I call the it analysis. What is it that is alleged to be a trade secret? And, and that's the critical analysis. And the courts have uh, promulgated a six-factor test, a six-factor litmus test, for determining whether an alleged information asset qualifies as a statutory trade secret. Uh the reality is is the federal circuit was created back in 1982 and everyone was focused on patents. Uh from 1982 and until we've now moved into the information age. And and you have to keep in mind that the birth of every patent starts out as a trade secret. So if I have some sort of novel uh you know conception on this call today, the only way to protect that information is to keep it as a trade secret. To take affirmative steps to protect that information from any unauthorized disclosure to third parties. Uh, then I have to at some point make an election as to whether or not to convert that trade secret asset, because that's what it is, immediate, immediately upon conception, whether I make this decision to convert that trade secret asset into a patent. Uh, and if you had, if, if, if the company makes that decision, then they proceed with prosecution of a, of a patent application. The other option is to continue to keep that information as a trade secret, and that requires reasonable, reasonable measures to protect that information from any unauthorized disclosure or use.
2: Okay, and you, mix, you mentioned the six-factor litmus test. Can you give us? Can you tell us a little bit about what those six factors are specifically, and if you you know. How organizations might look to themselves to either score, you know, score their ability to prove each one of those six factors.
1: Yes, I mean the six-factor test really goes back almost 200 years. Uh, In 1939, when the Restatement first detorts, and they brought together academics and professors to to uh, look at this intellectual property concept of trade secrets, uh, they had 100 years before that of. Of uh, common law history and the long and short of it is we now look at 2020 virtually every appellate court in the United States now requires that the alleged information asset um, be scored or evaluated under the six factors to determine whether or not that alleged information asset qualifies as a statutory trade secret. When you're at a cocktail reception or at some law or bar event and someone walks up to you and says, You know, I'm a trade secret lawyer, that's my practice. Ask them what the six factors are, and if they don't say immediately, number one, the extent to which the information is known outside the company, number two, the extent to which the information is known inside the company. Number three, the time, effort, and money expended to develop the trade secret. Number four, the level of security used to protect the trade secret. Number five, the value of the trade secret to the company or if it were to get it in the hands of competitors. And finally, six, the difficulty to reverse engineer it. And all of that, you know, uh, has to be looked at and, and, and when you think about it, can be scored then to determine and classify your trade secret assets. And as you know, I have um, developed software that, uh, that does that. But that, those are the six factors, and there's only two knockouts in, in this exercise. Uh, one is, is that you find that it is generally known in the trade. At that point, that information asset no longer can qualify as a trade secret. Once it's in the public domain, or it becomes generally known in the trade, the status of the information as a trade secret ceases to exist. At the other end of the spectrum, if the information is readily accessible, you know, by just Google or looking it up in a chemistry uh, handbook or something, um, it's not protectable as a trade secret. But okay. beyond those two knockouts, uh, what you will find is that trade secrets line up in varying different degrees on this six factor analysis. Okay. Perfect.
2: And, and from what you've taught me, which is a lot, what I've learned during this process and, and some of the homework that I've done, you you read a lot about these cases, these enforcement case, cases getting dismissed at an early stage. What is the main reason behind that?
1: Well, what happens is um, the company finds out that a key employee – uh, is leaving the company to go to he- go to work for a head-to-head competitor, and they immediately contact their outside counsel. We need to file suit tomorrow. We have we have to rush in the court and get our complaint filed and all that, suing them, suing this former employee um, for trade secret misappropriation or for the threat and misappropriation of trade secrets. But what happens is uh, um, the outside firm runs to the courthouse, files the complaint without conducting. A pre-filing investigation, and it turns out in the litigation that you cannot identify any alleged trade secrets. You haven't done the pre the six-factor analysis. You haven't identified really what the it is. In fact, you had no trade secret control committee. You had no internal organization. You never had a trade secret audit. You really are just scrambling around to try to uh, allege that certain things are trade secrets, you know, in in the emotions of the moment, and it and it blows up on the plaintiff, because uh, in order to proceed with a trade secret misappropriation case, you have to have at least one trade secret, you know, that scores affirmatively on the uh, six-factor analysis. And then you have to have some evidence of the threatened or actual misappropriation of trade secrets. And that requires um, a pre-filing investigation, which in most cases involves interviews and uh, looking at documents internally with the company. In essence, conducting on the fly a trade secret audit, which which was never done before and should have been done before, which uh, makes it very difficult to move quickly and get a successful result in a trade secret misappropriation lawsuit.
2: Interesting. And in, in drawing upon my, my own expertise and experience in dealing with cyber and privacy-related claims and litigation, I would imagine that one of the things you run into is things being Uh, miscategorized or mislabeled, you know, whether or not something is, you know, confidential or proprietary to the organization and who had access to it and whether or not the accessibility was treated properly to make something, you know, appropriately protected from a trade secret misappropriation standpoint. Um, And also, you know, as as I've learned throughout this process, and and you can shed some light on this, there seems to be some additional requirement or obligation on the part of the organization to embed into their employee and independent contractor agreements um, the the confidentiality and non-compete parts of those agreements, certain parameters, giving notice about what happens to them if they take or misappropriate trade secret information. Can you talk about that for just a moment?
1: Uh, Yes, I can. Um, This is a very important point And that is that an unprotected disclosure of of an alleged trade secret or or, or of a trade secret, the unprotected disclosure of a trade secret uh, to a third party vitiates the status of that information as a trade secret instantly. It's like taking a pin and pricking a balloon. In other words, the holder or the owner of the trade secret, when he shares that information with any third party he has to share it with an obligation of confidentiality. That the receiving party recognizes that they're receiving this information uh, that's confidential for the limited purpose for which they're being provided the information. And so you have to have non-disclosure agreements with your independent contractors and any third parties that that will have access to that trade secret because if they have a, 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 an unprotected exposure to that trade secret without an obligation of confidentiality, it destroys the status of that information uh, as a trade secret. Now, there are special rules in the employer-employee relationship uh, under principal agency law that have developed over centuries that essentially imposes upon an employee an obligation not to disclose for his or her benefit trade secrets of the employer either during employment or after employment, you know, without the authorization of the employer. So even though there wasn't a, a contract, you have the protection of that employer-employee uh, common law relationship. But once you go outside that relationship to any kind of third-party contractors or third-party uh, suppliers or or any other types of third parties, uh, without NDAs in place, you are essentially exposing your trade secrets in an unprotected state without the obligation of confidentiality, and, and that vitiates. And destroys the status of that information uh, as a trade secret. Uh, from a legal standpoint, it's important to understand that the general rule—the general rule—is is the right of one competitor to copy what another competitor is doing. They can imitate uh, the competitor. They can they can they can uh, copy their uh, their uh, business plans and whatever, unless. Uh, That information is protected uh, as a trade secret. So a trade secret is an exception to the general rule of the right to copy and the right to imitate what your competitors do. So if a competitor wants to uh, 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 copy or replicate or do things that would involve uh, your trade secrets, the only way to fend them off is to fend them off with patents, copyrights, trademarks, and trade secrets. But trade secrets are an exception to the general rule of the right to copy information so they're very fragile assets and they exist only to the extent that the holder of the a trade secret takes reasonable measures to protect against unauthorized disclosure or use of the information and, and at some you... point at some point the information becomes stale in other words if you went back and looked at the uh, the business plan of a major company 10 years ago. That was at the time a highly guarded trade secret, but today that information doesn't provide a competitive advantage. So you have information where you've taken reasonable measures to protect it, and you're deriving an actual or potential economic advantage from the secrecy of that information. Right. That's all
2: outstanding information. I, I'm guessing that all the non-attorneys listening to this podcast had no idea about a lot of that background information.
0: Thanks, Mark, again for joining us today. I hope you can join us for our next in the series discussing the federal and state statutes that are used to litigate trade secret protection. In addition, you can check out our website at www tradesecretinsurance.com or follow us on social media. You also can find a full length webinar with several of our experts discussing the subject in detail at Crown Jewel Insurance on YouTube. Thank you.